there, Shop of Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, Chris. Hey, dude. Another day. More hey. technology news. We got yeah. a lot of technology news coming down the pipe. Um, yeah. The one I'm thinking about is so Cloudflare had their like speed week thing. I don't know. I didn't follow it as closely as I should have, even though I'm mostly a a fan of all the stuff they do. It so seems like they kind of push the push the envelope of things. Yeah. You know, like I'm just a big workers fan because they they're like they're like lambdas, but they're also like service workers and they're also like have storage and they run at the edge and they're super fast and they manipulate HTML and they're just really cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, that's just one of the cloud offerings they have. Just what was it? Just a couple of days ago as we're recording this, they announced this thing. Cloudflare R2. Did you see it? Did it cross your desk? Um, I, you know, I followed it, but I, I'm not like a, yeah, a not. big Cloudflare user, so I, I don't, you know, yeah, it didn't. I don't feel the repercussions. Of. Yeah, so much. Anyway, it's uh, you know, it's S3. <laughs> oh, so well, <clears throat> it's S- Cloudflare is S3. It's just like a place to put some files, right? Great. Uh, okay. Object storage, as they call it. Although, why is it they call it object? Objects are like in JavaScript to me, so it always feels weird. It's like, no, it's not an object. It's a, it's a file. You know, it gets me to this. Having people yeah. say storage and they lump databases in with the storage, and, and I'm like, okay, maybe technically, like, but it's such a different thing. It's not just like a spreadsheet hanging up there. There's like database software that runs, you know, like a client. I don't know. But then, yeah, but yeah, like, like databases are more than just file dump. Technically, it's just yeah, it's hard to talk mechanism. about this stuff. Uh, but. but anyway, clearly, it's a play on S3, calling it R2. And, you know, the joke was that somebody's going to make a Q1 or something just to make sure it's all. The, but, you know, they're, they're not, it's not the only company that has a, um, an S3 competitor, you know, S3 is wildly successful for AWS. They like people really get what S3 is. You put files mm-hmm. in it and then you get them out later. Yeah, but it's cheap in stuff. Mm-hmm. But but is it really cheap? You know, that's I think could I think, be cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> in my experience, could be cheaper. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially for bandwidth reasons and uh, and things like that. So Cloudflare rolls in and says, "Your bandwidth." You know what? You know what we're going to charge you for bandwidth? Nothing. Just really zero. Wow. Uh, I think maybe you pay for it like on the way in the first time, and then yeah, nothing. bandwidth tax. Okay, all right, or sure. something like that. I, yeah. I, I wish I had all the details right, right? But but what I wanted to get at was a great. There's a great Twitter thread from Corey Quinn, Quinny Pig on Twitter. It says, "Time to put my economics pants on and do a little math around Cloudflare's R2 pricing model." So the idea is that like, let's say you had a gigabyte of data to store it in S3. Um, is 2.3 cents per month, you know? Okay, fine. So storage at rest, not too bad. For gigabyte, that's all right. That's a lot of data, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but let's say I send you the link to that S3 file and you download it one time, nine cents. Whoa, right? So a lot of people okay. doing that. You put a file and a bunch of people record. It's starting to add up cost-wise. Yeah. So let's say you're going to use R2 instead, right? What you might do is not totally trust R2 because it came out checks watch two days ago, right? Maybe not going to be my canonical nope, we storage. we moved the whole company over. We're yeah. doing it. We're all in. We did it. We're going 100%. Yes. So if you're a cloud nerd, though, that makes a lot of sense that you'd be like, I'm going to take all the advantage of this, but maybe not just make it my canonical like today. So you'd mm. throw it in S3, costing you 2.3 cents. Then, but you'd really front it by R2. So you'd you'd move it from S3 to R2, which means you pay the 9 cents to send out the gigabyte. And then R2 is saying it's going to cost you 1.5 cents over here to keep it. You know, that's our like long-term data that's our data storage that's the cold but that from then on you're done guess how much it costs you from then on nothing so how much what's the price break so do the what's the s3 and versus the what's the final total i don't know it's like infinite essentially it keeps going here like like okay so if you tie it together you pay 2.3 cents per gigabyte to keep it on s3 and then the nine cent one time over there 
you know, well, let me let me find the the final breakdown here. So let's remember that the internet is one too many. If one million people download this one gigabyte file this month, a little extreme, but you know we're doing economics here. If you put it on R two, that's going to cost you thirteen cents in total. If you wow, left okay. it on S three, it's going to cost you fifty nine thousand dollars, two hundred and forty seven dollars fifty two cents. Right, it's a thirteen cents and sixty thousand dollars are just different little n- different numbers to the world, you know. Just I don't know why you'd choose one or the other. I, <laughs> I'm not good. I hire an accountant. You know, to have Cloudflare roll in and be like, "This is not only cheaper data at risk, but bandwidth is free," is wild. Mm-hmm. That's just big tech news, I think. Yeah, well, and I wonder how they do it, other than they've just figured out how to reduce costs to basically nothing. They also want to get business right now. Well, right. And I think Corey is a little salty in the thread saying, you know, here's a, here's a tweet. AWS charges 1998 prices for bandwidth. I think bandwidth prices have generally just gone way down and Mm -hmm. Cloudflare has not only benefited from that, but that they have their, all their own hardware and all that crap. So that it like is close to free for them. Mm-hmm. Not free, but, you know, they've figured out a way to get this to work. And AWS is over here just like, um, we're the industry leader, so we just charge what we charge, you know. It's not real shade on AWS. They charge, I mean, I'm a, basically a big fan. Like, they do great. They have off, excellent internet services that they offer. But it's cool when you see competition roll in and really shake things up. Because they like can't, this. as yeah. They can't really battle, you know, elsewhere in this thread, they're saying like, well, what, what's AWS going to do if you, if you use both, you know, cause I think that's good cloud architecture actually, as he suggests to, to, to use both, right? That way, if R2 goes down, you just flip it off and you're back to where you were, you know, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, what would, you know, does, does AWS like detect that you're doing this move and like charge a premium or some crap to send it to Cloudflare? No, right. no. Yeah, that's some. That's just 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 not cool. You know, right. they have to just they just have to take one on the chin here. Well, and it's probably hard to move. I mean, Amazon's not hurting. It's probably hard to move stuff. Yeah, <laughs> like, some tiny fraction know? of customers are actually going to do this, right? Right. Like, I mean, he's talking like one gigabyte. I'd move a gigabyte in my sleep. But, you know, yeah. if you're in the terabyte, petabyte territory, you're probably just going to keep paying Amazon prices. But Unless your bill's like crazy high, you know, like there's surely there's some customers that are are doing this right now. You know, they're like, right. oh, my God, we could hire eight more people if we just did this one move and they just did, you know, it was so high value for them. No, I mean, that's true. We're, we're, we're I, you know, my I dream of getting there at Codeman. I want to be one of those customers. <laughs> well, I, you know, this is like, um, hopefully not sharing too much, but talk to some investors about uh, applications and stuff. And they are like, one thing they're, they're basically into is like, you need to figure out your cost, right? Like what's your cost to get a new user or like monthly costs or, and then they do some algebra from there to figure out, Oh, if you had a thousand more users, you'd be worth this valuation or something, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Like they abstract from like the cost it takes you to run something. Um, And for sure, that's how they think. Yeah. I mean, and they're just in numbers, you know, so they're just thinking if it's cost, Cost you a million dollars per customer to to do CodePen. Yeah, that's a like bad, you, you they're probably that. like that's a bad investment. But if it now suddenly from it goes from fifty three thousand dollars for CodePen because I y'all have a two megabyte asset limit, right? Maybe this yeah, would this change. Oh, Dave, this yeah. would change the two megabyte asset limit. I'm sure. Like, why why would know. we have a limit at all? Really? Right. Exactly. Yeah. If it costs pennies. That, that was the big thing is because we knew bandwidth is a little pricey. The only room that there's a cap at all is because I and we and the, the cap for us is tricky. Right. Because you, you want to give people useful numbers. Right. But at the moment, we kind of got to stop short of being a useful media host. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really want to be your free podcast host, you know, and yeah, I yeah, think yeah. we're at 10 megabytes for for pro plan for um you know, for just 
for it's two megabytes in within a project or within a pen and mm-hmm. 10 megabytes if it's just a global asset and 10 okay, megabytes okay. is pretty okay for images and other assets you know your you know 3d models and stuff but it's a little too small to be your podcast host you know so it's kind of trying to avoid that i think that's good yeah but now we don't have to who cares if, if we switch you know yeah yeah no i mean this has huge like cost per user repercussions i mean even and then they, that investor looks at Cloudflare, though, and they say, what's your average customer worth? And then they bust out their spreadsheets and they're like, and, they're, and then the investors are like, oh, yeah, that's fine, actually. Yeah, keep doing that because you know? we're, we're about yeah. to sign a new contract over there that's has a bunch of zeros on it. That's, a, you know, freaks me out a little bit, but it's like, well, and that's because the monthly pricing isn't good, but the annual pricing is a lot better, or what, you know, or the like. Contract pricing is a lot. Yeah, and that we're, we don't use, we use a whole suite of crap over there. It's not mm-hmm. just the workers we use, but it's their, just their DNS product anyway, which speeds stuff up and their offline stuff. And we use their uh, auth stuff for certain things. And mm-hmm. we're going to be using different, you know, there's some resizing stuff we use. And then there's like a bots management enterprise thing we use that does oh. some like secret AI protection magic that I don't even I, know how I it works. I encounter that from time to time, I think. Um, just because it's yeah, like, hey, that's, an, well, I think it's, it could be mobile safari maybe because it has like that itp I, and i think it that's exactly where i see it once in a while you click a thing over from a tweet and it hits you and you're like mm, that's not ideal right but i'll tell right. you like the fact that you see that once in a while also means that you know a couple of years ago we dealt with ddos stuff guess if we've had any trouble with that no but it's not because it's totally gone away you can you can see the machine fight back like we mm-hmm. still deal with it, but it's just handled now. Yeah. And the value there is hard to explain, Dave. It's very high. Oh, you know? what do you mean, Chris? You like your website company. falling over? Yeah. It is. Yeah. Having a dead website is less valuable than having an alive website. It turns <laughs> out. It turns out that's to the investors, case. when you show that paper sheet, the, the, the yeah. term sheet to the investors. You go down a little bit for a little while and everybody rubs your shoulders. And that isn't there some hashtag everybody sends on Twitter like, like DevOps hugs. Hug. Yeah, hug. DevOps yeah. hugs. Yeah. yeah, but I'll tell you who has patience for that. They have patience for it when they hear you're down. But if they need to use your thing while it's down, I don't think you're getting an ops hug. You don't no, know, you, you don't get an ops hug. They're, no, you get an uh, people F-U. are like DMing me. Hey, you know Chris, go tell him <laughs> go pens down. <laughs> yeah, I'll nobody do my likes best. that. No. I don't like it. I, you know, I, I, companies I really like, I turn into a huge dick when they're down. You know, yeah. there's a little Slack had a little burp today, and I'm like, what is this? What? Don't we pay you money <laughs> <laughs> just for a burp? I like that you call yeah. it a burp. I had a burp, and then. It, <laughs> All right, Scott Fennell writes in. Let's do some Q and A, meat and potatoes stuff. Uh, he says, "I'd like to, st- I'd like for smaller devices to stop worrying about pixel density and load the smaller image file. A convenient way of doing this is to lie to the browser in the image sizes attribute. For example, tell the browser that on smaller devices the image is only going to be 50 viewport units wide, when in reality the image is actually 100 viewports wide. This seems to be working." The browser chooses a source set file appropriate for 50 viewport units, so I end up with a smaller file size. I like it. What do you think of this approach? I suspect lying to the browser in this way will have unintended consequences. Um, I don't like lying in general. Um, <laughs> I think the whole point of sizes is to sort of express what it's going to be, and then the browser negotiates what the best image it can get is, you know? So in brass tacks, there's a 320 pixel wide screen, but it's really 2X. So it's really 640. And he's saying, I don't care. Like I want the 320. If I'm providing a 320, I actually want it to just use that. Meaning that it's going to look a little blurry on a 2X screen. Like that. that's why the browser is picking the bigger one. Just because mm-hmm. its pixel density is high enough that it needs it to look good. But I take your point. If you, like, really want to force it, yeah. Well, to Dave's point, I don't like lying. You know, it sounds like you want contr- 
the whole point of source set and sizes is to give up control and let the browser do it. And you're saying, I want control. Mm-hmm. And if you want control, then use picture. Picture is all about control. Yeah. So if you want this to happen, you can write picture with sources with the information in it that says, you know, it has a waterfall-like effect. You know, the first source to match is the one that's going to be used. So if there's one at the top that's that matches your kind of like what you consider a smaller device, and then you put a source in there, it's going to pick that source. So that's the way to do it without lying, you know. And you can also do like device pixel ratio in your picture media queries. So you're like, if viewport is 1000 and device pixel ratio four, send them the two X desktop image or whatever, you know, like you could, you could cheat it that way. And that way you're kind of like, you're saying this, um, yeah, sizes and source that were kind of this shorthand to kind of make a robotic determination. And the only reason, like, you're probably fine, like whatever. I can't. You used an eye tag for your instead of a span. I'm not gonna fight you here. Somebody might, but whatever. Um, but I I think the idea here is browsers could use sizes source set in in notice an actual bandwidth constraint, and then serve the the smaller file. Does that make sense? Like it. Maybe not with sizes because yeah, it's all I mean, about it's, the size of the viewport. to let somebody else make the decision for you. Because what you're mm-hmm. saying, Scott, is you, you like want you you want the control. You want to pick that thing where it's like I don't know. Maybe for you, it is loading the two X version because you happen to be testing it from your couch with your fancy broadband internet connection. But that, but lower powered phones are capable of making different choices than your phone is making, you know, like on other phones, it could be like, Oh, I'm sensing a low bandwidth situation here. I'm going to choose the lower source image. Like that's a thing that can happen. And I don't know that any browsers have implemented that, but I think the theory was they could. Yeah. Is that really none? I, Hmm. I, we should, bother some chrome people about it because they were kind of the ones like we need this maybe maybe you know yeah so. i remember at, at one point that was definitely true is that it was a, a suggestion kind of thing but i guess all these years later if that's still the case that nobody has ever supported it well that does kind of change the math then a little bit doesn't it? yeah well and um the, the the math is changing like there's you know if you think about phones available on the market today there's no such thing as a one x phone so if you have a 320 wide image no one's ever gonna see it like unless they're on like a old desktop or something like that so i don't know it's kind of like i just had a little meeting about that the other day and it was exactly that should we shoot a 320 and like mm-hmm. so people come at that thing from different perspectives mine was that like there's nobody's going to request that thing. All these, all phones these days, I mean, I shouldn't say all, right? Because I don't know the exact situation, but if your phone is so old that it's going to be one X at that screen size, it probably also doesn't support the picture syntax, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, or it just, you know, it has a thousand other problems that a 540 image is not going to be its main problem, you know? Yeah. In my opinion, Right. professional opinion so. and then like, how far do you go you know how many do you shoot and stuff and in the perspective of one developer i was working with was like they don't care about the 320 because it's so easy to make and so small of file size that like it does to them it's like why not just shoot it like that's okay not, the problem yeah. is not that it's it would okay now i want to know i think i bothered you for your metrics on the last show but now I want to know if you had five sources, which ones actually get hits? Yeah, don't you? Like, like that... let's say, and, let, and let's. It, I think it's a double matrix because generally, what you're trying to do is shoot in different sizes and shoot in different formats. Mm-hmm. And yeah, ideally, you serve from a CDN-like situation, which does the format math for you, but not always. And sometimes that costs money. Like that's mm-hmm. a situation we're in at the moment it was like, actually, you know what? We're not going to have you do the 
thing because it 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 it's like it's ticking up a counter that counts as basically a resize on our bill, and we're like, eh, we'll yeah. shoot them then. We'll provide our own formats, and we thought, which ones are we gonna do? And to me, I was like, well, AVIF for sure because we have like a crap load of um, desktop Chrome users. But mm-hmm. Dave, they're hard. They're they're they take a hot second to make. Yeah, like if you shoot a PNG or JPEG and then say, I'd like an AVIF for it, depending on what it is, it could take eight seconds. That's too long, dude. That's a long time to make an image. That's not, and yeah. I, that was kind of like average, not even like it was high end, but not impossible. So I kind of scratched it just for that reason. I'm like, that's a different kind of bill. It's not actually saving us that much money. So WebP is actually pretty fast to make and pretty good. So, so I think we scratched AVIF from the list just because of how slow they are to make. Put WP on the list and then had to make a determination of either JPEG or PNG because it's mm-hmm. like we could make them both and try to compare sizes and stuff. But yet that's even more technical debt complication. So, meh. so I think it's going to be down to just WebP and JPEG only. And then in like five sizes, and what you're asking is, what, how's the hits? Like, what do you, what, where's the like, where do you hit on the dartboard the heaviest? Yeah, like give me, like if I had a table, and down yeah. the the left column is the different sizes, and across the top are the formats: AVIF, yeah, WebP, PNG, um, or JPEG, or whatever. Yeah, which which of those? on that little dartboard get hits, you know, like count them up. And yeah. I, I, Oh God, I'd love to see that. You know what I mean? Cause I'm sure it's like mm-hmm. football shape, like in the right in the middle is like what gets the most, but like, yeah, there's what? probably a lot of stuff that influences it towards one direction. Like the layout of your page is like a big deal that makes it mostly request one particular thing. I almost guarantee for us, it's going to be like WebP. 960 or something but you know yeah it'd be cool to see the data it would be cool to see the data oh my gosh i'm just hey i gotta know now oh this is gonna consume my whole life i'm gonna call actually i'm gonna outsource it to i'm gonna nerd snipe scott gel and uh that's a web page test problem now sorry boys so yeah <laughs> or uh i'd snipe eric portis on it you know cloudinary make them Oh, Cloudinary, Figure they could do it for me. That'd be sweet. Cloud well, if there's analytics in Cloudinary. I've never even looked. I will, yeah, maybe it actually tells like me which this. of my images get hit. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna nerd snipe them right on this podcast. If there's anybody from Cloudinary watching, I have the weirdest problem on Cloudinary that's been going on for a couple years now that I just have punted on because I just don't. I've stopped using it not because not and for any reason because I don't like Cloudinary. In fact, I love Cloudinary, but uh, for various reasons for production stuff, haven't used it as heavily lately. But here's one of the things I'll use it for: um, I use a third-party ad service, right? So I hit a JSON endpoint, gives me back an ad. The ad has like a JPEG or something that I'm supposed to use. Fine. But I don't necessarily trust it, that it's going to be optimized and that it's going to be in the right format. Like it's a JPEG. I'm like, why don't I serve it as a WebP? Wouldn't that be nice? So all I have to do is throw Cloudinary in front of it, that URL that I get back, and it'll optimize it and it'll serve it in the right format and all that stuff, right? Hey, Mm -hmm. clever. Mm -hmm. So all these URLs I slap on CSS Tricks for some of the ads have Cloudinary in front of them. And that's fine. Then then if I go to my dashboard on Cloudinary, I can see those ads because they get automatically added to your media library mm-hmm. in Cloudinary. And then this is the weird part. What happens is that archive.org, you know, like the Wayback mm-hmm. Machine, mm-hmm. like hits CSS tricks like a lot. And it appends extra crap to the URLs when it requests it. It has a little like HTML transformer or something. Okay. Okay. And then Cloudflare sees it as a different image and it uploads it again. So every single day, a- added to my Cloudflare, Cloudinary, Cloudinary media library is just like hundreds of the same graphics. Like just way exactly back machine the same one. graphics. Yeah. Yikes. And it's, I'm just, and I told Cloudinary knows, I think. 
at this point, and I just don't think they care that much. And it doesn't affect my life that much, but what it does is it makes my media library on Cloudinary just totally useless, you know? Like, I can't... Just to, yeah. There's, and it makes me wonder about data at rest, too, a little bit. Like, wow, there's a lot of data just sitting on servers that are just going to freaking sit there just forever doing there's, nothing useful. And there's a carbon cost to that, but... Doesn't yeah. that, that the, the Cloudflare R2, Nothing. didn't it make you think about that? Like, okay, so you're already keeping your crap on S3, and then you're like, well, and I'm going to replicate it over on <laughs> Cloudflare R2. And the only thing we think about is how many dollar bucks we save, which is a legitimate thing to worry about, but also it means like, <laughs> I don't know, isn't there carbon cost to all this? Like, how many different places can we keep all our data for forever yeah, it's it's you're not just storing data; you're storing it on five hundred servers next to an I. Yeah, for the rest of know, time, because I signed some document that said that's what's going to happen. Yeah, next to an internet provider, and so, um, but you know, but then is the carbon cost of the having it next to the internet provider? Yeah, and I've seen some evidence that it has, like that does, it doesn't have to go under a like electricity doesn't have to go under the Atlantic Ocean to. To yeah. send my cat gift to somebody. But the fact yeah. that it's propagated to 82 data centers around the world, like, was there cost there too? I, I think it's just. It did it once. It did that once. Yeah. In theory. But, and then your site gets millions of hits. I mean, probably a day, right? Like, so Yeah. So probably yeah. it's okay, but can you prove it? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, what about Dave's blog that gets a thousand hits? This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by WooCommerce. You know, WooCommerce, made by Automax, a plugin for your WordPress site, powers all WordPress based e commerce. Uh, it's what, you know, if, like if you sell something on WordPress.com and integrate all their e commerce features on there, that's WooCommerce powering it all. If you've ever bought something on CSS Tricks, that's WooCommerce powering that. Uh, really nicely done e-commerce software that does all kinds of things. Like I sell physical products. You can sell like appointments for things. You could sell tickets for things. You could sell candles. You know, you can sell certainly sell physical products. And, you know, depending on what you want to do, it can be very different from one store to the next on the Internet. And that's where WooCommerce shines because there's this big uh, plugin art, you know, WooCommerce is a plugin, but there's like plugins for WooCommerce that do all kinds of stuff. So if you need special tax stuff, special shipping stuff, special calendaring, special checkout methods, whatever, there's additional plugins that you install for it. Uh, and that that makes it shine for me. And just because it's such a big ecosystem, you're going to find what you need, no problem. You know, I've had Google Analytics installed on CSS Tricks since the day I launched that site. And it's cool because it just has, you know, loads of data or a deck over a decade of data i can see how things happen but i always go into google analytics and poke around and and see stuff in there and there'd always be like an e-commerce area that i'd be like oh that's like over my head you know i don't i don't know how to set that up Ugh. you know I, I could learn all about it it's not like it's not like i couldn't do it it always just felt like i don't know is it actually worth it to like figure out all this stuff uh, and I never did it, but it turns out there's, for example, there's a plugin, WooCommerce for Google Analytics. I just installed it and turned it on, and it just configures everything for my Google Analytics, for my existing Google Analytics account that just fills out all that data. So now I can go into Google Analytics and see every detail of of what Google Analytics thinks is important for, like what products are selling and what they're worth and what the funnel is like and where I lose people and, you know, people's kind of analytics behavior for e-commerce. It all just works. And I did none work. You know, I think that's the advantage of taking advantage of, uh, you know, a powerful ecosystem of tools. Thanks for the support, WooCommerce. What do, what do we um, got here next? we go. This one's for me. Frustrated view user writes <laughs> in. I'm starting a new job using View. I like it quite a bit. I love that it's not owned by Facebook or Google. I like the way they have blessed solutions for styling and state management. I like the View SFC single file component, and I like a lot of the actual stuff. But they're on View 2, and the official documentation on View basically says if you're a large enterprise app, don't bother upgrading. My problem with uh, is with this view two to view three migration, it seems like Angular one to two. 
if I'm moving from view two to view three, I might as well consider moving to Svelte because just like when there was a massive transition to React, mm. um, it seems like such a big mistake to make such a breaking big breaking change. It's been out for almost a year, and we're seeing many community package packages still not able to use view three, Viewtify, Nuxt, Gridsome, mm. etc. I'm curious, especially Dave, what's your opinion on this move? Is it a big mistake? I mean, I don't know. Are you following this? It seems like. I am. And I just went to Nuxt Nation, a conference uh, about Nuxt and the next version of Nuxt, Nuxt 3, which will support View 3. And there was a lot of discussion, even from Evan Yu, about um, the creator view, about View 2 to View 3 sort of stuff. Um, I think it's really important to know what view two and view three, the differences there. And I actually had to like re-listen to the podcast we had with, um, Ben Hong, yeah. uh, and, um, and I was, um, so the, the issue is there's a new, new API in view three. That is the, uh, kind of reacty style effects. Um, you have a setup function and everything runs in your setup function for your component, mm-hmm. but you're not doing kind of the structured data object. You're not doing like a class object for your component. Okay. Yep. So instead of the object syntax, it's the, That's the why, composition API. The main reason why the transition is not easy. Yeah. And then the the second reason sort of inside of that is there's a new way to do reactivity in V3, and that okay. is uses proxies, which are a yeah. modern browser only feature. So that sort of footnote about being a large enterprise app never don't That's upgrade. What it means. It's probably based on that yeah. entirely. Okay. Like because it's one of those non-polyfillable or polyfill at your own peril sort of things um, that proxies are for uh, react like proxies are hard to polyfill thing. So for view, I see, I see. Okay. Okay. So beautify is going to upgrade. I don't know about Gridsome, but I assume they're on a pathway as well. Um, there is a lot of code written in view two. There's starting to be a lot of code written in view three. And I'm like, oh, I can't use it, but there's going to be, um, there's this view bridge and actually Nuxt has a bridge component or a bridge module Nuxt bridge, I think it's called, or, um, and, and they're going to start backporting some of the view three features into view two. So some of the features are going to come back. It's just not all of them will because not all of them can easily go in. And so I think they're in a much better shape than Angular 1 and 2. Angular 1 and 2 is kind of just like you have to rewrite everything. There's no hope. But for view 2, view 3, there's there's going to, or even Nux 2, Nux 3, there's going to be this bridge package that you can install that will give you like the composition API, but then will also kind of help you understand places where you might have problems upgrading. Mm. So, but, but the, the, the API like view three still supports a lot of the API that view two did. I think everything, but filters or, or mix-ins and filters. So if you use a lot of mix-ins, you're probably in trouble, but, or the filter sort of syntax, but so let's say it's better and all that. I mean, that. certainly I think angular two is better or all that, but I, I think the insinuation here is that that was so rough that people are just like, I'm going to literally switch frameworks. No, yeah. Frustrated I mean, view user might, we'll see. And I guess you could write back and tell us what you actually chose to do, but I wonder if they're going to jump ship or if that's. I would be curious. Um, I mean, what's, what are you going to do when Svelte has a major migration? Yeah. Just going to bail? Going to take the coward's way out? What are you going to do? You know, Python yeah. two three had a big jump, and big jumps are hard. And and I bet React is heading to one. They've they said like we're going to maintain backwards compatibility and stuff, but I think they've started changing their tune on that. Oh, so really? React 
might have a big jump. It someday. feels like they don't. I don't know. It's like not as exciting as it was for a long time, you know? Like React 18 is kind of around now and I guess it has suspense, but people were like almost bored of waiting for that. So I don't think the excitement is very high for it. And then the <laughs> they, t- they talked about server side components, which is like kind of exciting, but a little confusing. And they're, they're, they, they need to be so careful that every time React ever mentions they're doing anything, they talk about it like super far in advance and tell you you don't have to worry about it for a long time and then go quiet on it for like a year. <laughs> And you're like, what is even mm-hmm. happening over there, you know? Not that that's bad. I just, I don't know. Like, I think React might be too big to to rock the boat much anymore. And maybe they should just do nothing. <laughs> I don't know. Controversial tweets here? Uh, no. I, I mean. What more do I, I want from it? I think the I server. That's true. What? I mean, I was thinking back, we did that little Hello World video, what, like earlier this week or last week or something. And it was fun, right? Do web components and stuff, figure out the syntax, get it going. And then after we're done, I'm like, I wonder if we should have done it in React, you know? Because I could write that thing in one second in React because I just have so much more experience with that. And that it would, would feels really sensical how you do it. And it also feels very mm-hmm. sensical how I move on from that too. Like what if I need to, you know, how we made, we put hello world on the screen with a prop essentially, because it was a component, it was like an attribute mm-hmm. on the element. And then we tracked state internally for the counter, one, two, three, four, five, you know, I was thinking like, what if the counter was actually a subcomponent? you know, like that would be an interesting mm-hmm. next step mm-hmm. for that. Cause then you got to like pass state from the parent maybe down to the child or get them to share somehow like is maybe you use the the but the counter itself track state in a parent component or something i think that complicates things in just the right kind of way that it's interesting to see how frameworks deal with that and i was like well it's just a no-brainer in react you know you get this little state updater function from use state and you pass it down and you call it from the child and knows how to re-render the parent problem solved and i think it would have what an achievement that is you know like that's great that's a Mm -hmm. really clean ui that people seem to just understand and it's not a problem that when you just tell a world something, you don't like get a good feel for that. And it made me like smile mm-hmm. and react a little bit right there. You know, I know it's a little controversial and you don't need to like rub react shoulders because it's a big boy and it has a lot of, you know, <laughs> doesn't need a lot of help. <laughs> it's emotionally yeah. <laughs> stable. Yeah. But still, it does make me, me, me think, you know, part of the reason it's successful is because it's the APIs that it does have are so strong. I'd be curious because there's yeah every framework takes it a different way right like i mean right off the bat like you know view kind of has vuex which is sort of a redux built in you know um you might use that or just like an event bus like where you fire an event and then somebody upstairs yeah. listens for that and responds to it so that's pretty sweet i i yeah as far as i know every time i there's something i like in even if i like it in react view does it better somehow you know or any stumbling thing i stumble on in react it's like oh there's a cleaner thing in view <laughs> so i get why people like the the big frameworks because they it matters all that like stuff that they make easy for us yeah, there was somebody, I think over, I'm just going to peek in the Discord here. Um, I think we were talking about frameworks and stuff, right? Is that right? Um, we are just talking about like features and stuff that come in frameworks, whether that's like a CMS or um, Christopher Kennedy here saying, I like when those, when I have those bumper reels of guidelines of how I can mm-hmm. do something. And, you know, they're just pointing out like they'll re- reach for a framework is but what they're expecting are the guardrails, you know, and that's kind of what I want too. It's just tell me how to use this, and I'll, you know, like, um, I the reason I'm picking this is to make my life easier. So provide the guardrails. That's what I want. So. Howdy, friends. If you are looking for gaming hot takes and standouts from a team of filthy casuals then you should be listening to a side quest. Every month, me, Dave, Jan, and Zach deliver updates on our time-starved favorite hobby through the magic of the internet. 
And with our combined 80 years of video gaming experience, we provide some soul balm for that weary gamer heart. So check us out on your favorite podcast listening app of choice and follow us on Twitter at aside underscore quest. Some more in here. Let me take a look in the to dip my hand down into the the question box. Did you watch? Did you watch Ted Lasso? I have not. No, but oh, it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. But 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 there's a cute moment where they're they they are always making a you know a little box where you can put your comments. The feedback in. box. Yeah. yeah, I saw season one, but yeah. Oh, you saw season one. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what the comment okay. box was in. Remember? Oh, I didn't know. I Nathan... didn't want you to be like, well, in season two. Oh, Whoever does that. But Nate the Great always brings in like a really cutely decorated question box. <laughs> I'm going to dig into it. Let's see. Frustrated view user. We did you. Let's do Tyler Dupree. Rhymes with monkey, he says. Um, Dave briefly mentioned that he saw a website that used font awesome icons, you know, F-A icons. <laughs> and then at the time, so apparently that they're dead to oh, him. Well, so could you explain the issue with, with font awesome icons? I, I've used them for like five years or I use them like a five-year-old uses stickers. He says, <laughs> just putting them everywhere. I assume <laughs> it's an accessibility concern or something. What should I do instead? Do you even feel that way? Did I? Uh, I don't, you know. Uh, I probably am talking down my butt. That's probably the big issue there. Um, <laughs> again, <laughs> this is a pundit podcast. Um, icon fonts themselves were a good thing, but they have some limitations, like whether that's anti-aliasing problems or so some crispness or some accessibility problems like you didn't write right wrap it in the right tag with the right aria and the right blah 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 that i think svg are a better choice well yeah i didn't even know that was on the table like uh, obviously svg is a better choice but i guess it's in the name right font awesome it almost encourages that you use the font way to do the icon which is like <laughs> i'm so maybe i'm so far removed from that that like I feel like I made it my problem for too long <laughs> that, you know, like I, yeah, I feel like I was <laughs> kind of anti-icon fonts yeah. and I like don't care anymore. Not that I don't care, but I feel like in my mind, I just won, you know, like I win. Don't use those. Those are a bad idea. I don't, I'm <laughs> sick of talking about it. And I rarely see websites anymore implement a, an icon system with fonts, you know, like it just feels like such a not good idea that it's gone and that they're so, it's so easy to do with SVG. It's like, why bother doing it any other way? Well, and you know, I'm going to probably eat my words here. I, I imagine it's like SVG now, you know, like, I don't, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I missed the update where they said, yeah, kind of, I mean, the the icons Um, in code pen, like if you open up the assets panel and go to icons, those are the open source font, awesome icons, and they're all SVG. You just click it and you get SVG and you put that. They definitely are SVG. And I think all have been for years, you know, they did a Kickstarter in 2018. Remember that font awesome five and they made it a big deal. And it was, it was like, they made a million dollars on a Kickstarter for font awesome. I remember being so like shocked by that. Like, holy cow, people love these things. And I think they still do. And as, uh, as far as I know, there, it's like a company that's based around font awesome and good on you. You know, they don't force you to use the fonts. They made the fonts because they thought, uh, you know, they've been around a long time and it used to be kind of how you did it. And I think these days not only have SVG, but like have helpers to use it in SVG and stuff. I don't think they're, they're certainly not evil, but I, the name is not my favorite. <laughs> if we're going to poke, if we're going to poke at them a little bit. Yeah. So, okay. I'm going to, can I, they do offer SVG. You need to be in the pro plan. Oh, it's a big old upside. Um, so I, here's what I'm going to say. Use what works. Like what spend about eight and a half seconds worrying about your icons is sort of how I feel. You can make them better. And I actually do think there's like, we've talked clients into custom icon sets and stuff like that and have them had them built and stuff like that. Just because like you, you can't get a cohesive set of icons and stuff like that. Whereas if you hire a designer who does icons, they can do that for you. So, but spend like eight seconds and get a nice one and then put it on your website 
nice enough one put on your website. Um, but don't be so bought into some system or some tool that you would never oh, change that go. is sort of what I want to say. Like, cause you can have a lot better, you can have a really nice effect if you like have really good cohesive icons. I think that's a really strong design flex that not everyone gets to. Um, but these, these are great. One I always use, I use hero icons, which is, I think the, uh, um, Kind of based on old Tailwind uh, stuff. I think that's by the oh, same yeah, Tailwind like people. Um, yeah, man. Oh yeah, What's Steve Schroger. Steve Steve Schroger's really good. Um, so and they offer like the light and dark, or like the outline and the solid, and then you can copy an SVG or copy a JSX file. That's nice. I will personally say the copy is a little weird because it does still have some JSX oh, in it sometimes, or it'll have. Uh, the SVG will have like it comes ships with like default uh, tailwind classes, whatever. I can rip those out. I can fix that. Um, it's fine. But I really like these. So I, they give me just a nice out of the box yeah. cohesive feel. Like I like having a good set of icons, isn't it? You know, instead of just grabbing one offs all the time. And then, you know, a year down the road, you're like, these don't really go together that good. No, I agree. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I think font awesome is great in that regard. Like there's a lot of icons, at least they're all cohesive in that way, but there's a million of them, you know, it's not like a rare thing to find a, an icon set. There's a flipping zillion billion of them and it, they change over time. Cause you know, it'll be like the output of them is like, you know, you could find some ancient one that's on Dribble, and in the comments, it links to a PSD that they hosted somewhere. And that's like, that's how they delivered them was a Photoshop document that you have to open and copy them out of or something. And then fonts became a way to deliver entire sets that I think got kind of popular. And then, yeah. you know, now it's more common to get a folder full of them, and then they're in PNG and SVG, you know? And now you find really modern ones and like like hero icons, and the, the more of the vibe is just, you know, you click on the icon right in a website, and it gives you some copy and paste code to use, because that's actually the best way to use SVG icons. If you're out there listening, you didn't know that, I will stand behind that. The best way to use an icon on your webpage is to dunk a little SVG right in the HTML right where you need it. And that's it. There's no system. There's no build mm-hmm. step. There's no use. There's no shadow DOM. There's no font. There's nothing. You just an icon. It's on the page and you style it and that's it. Yeah. I, that's good. I, I would. Yeah, I agree. So anyway, that's all I'm saying. Font awesome is probably fine. <laughs> like I think font throws me off because I'm like, I'm not going to reach for a, a, a whatever, a, a font based icon system. I've had like too many problems. There's the famous like four stars and a horse rating <laughs> that was on Etsy or something like that. <laughs> and like, you know, like four and a horse stars. And so anyway, I, those problems I don't want to experience again. So I, I like SVG for that. Now, All so. right. We might as well finish this off. Cause for our own synchronicity, that means we'll, we are um, maybe two behind the scenes here, but we've emptied the coffers for questions. Oh my gosh! People gotta give us yeah. more questions. Yikes! Okay, well, yeah, Call come up in. with but, them. But you know, a lot of them were. I had to do some. I had to do some uh, some cleaning house or some stuff that was just too old. And then a good, you know, twenty two percent of things are people that use that form to tell us to invite their boss on the podcast. And rest assured, people, we always say no. Yeah, I mean, maybe just yeah. Just ask us if we want to interview your boss. That's, a, that's the only thing people use it for. So. We could rapid fire that. Do you want my boss, Harry Man Man, to come on? No. Next. Do you want my boss? We could just go. Or no. we record a whole interview with him and they go, well, and then we just cut the interview right there and do a regular show. <laughs> yeah, just start it and then just delete it yeah no hey here we go alexander hagerman writes in i haven't got uh to use this much but i stumbled across webhint.io in the ms edge chromium dev tool docs today seems interesting in the realm of something uh you of code automation tools mentioned recently comes with an editor and a cli tooling which is nice thanks for making Mm -hmm. the show uh, do you know about WebHint? 
it looks like a like you install it and then it it tells you stuff about your code, right? I think I used it for a minute, but I I don't know why it's not installed anymore. Why did I give up, Dave? <laughs> well, it it had like a few generations of kind of going uh, cool and weird, or but um, I've seen some really cool demos. WebHint is sort of like a lighthouse tool, but it gives it was a previously called like Narwhale or something like that. Um, mm. uh, I see it's some, got I, Axe built in, so that's one thing, right? You're like open up a your any kind of file, and in fact. The homepage of it has a TSX file, which is TypeScript JSX, and he hovers over an input, and the input has some axe problem, like it's an input that doesn't have a label, which is fantastic, isn't it? Like, thank you for reminding me that I wrote bad HTML. Yeah. But that's just axe, and they have their own browser plugin, so why do I need this one? Well, so this one, it, it gives you kind of security. It gives you like a, some best practices stuff. And actually it's, I think it's actually included in, uh, in dev tools in edge. So if you open up and you open up the issues oh. panel, there's this issues. And so it'll give you warnings. And so if I go to, let me just pull up my site. Um, it's probably giving me, so it's telling me like web kit text size adjust is not supported by Chrome. Uh, uh, text size adjust is added in Chrome 54. That's telling me like there's some. Uh, and this is web hint doing that? Web hint doing that behind the scenes, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, but it gives you very similar things. And it's saying like image loading isn't supported by Firefox. That's a warning in Android and Safari and stuff like that. Uh, text decoration skipping not supported like so it's telling me remember back when we were like i want to know these unsupported properties this is telling me that so tech decoration thickness uh, not supported by firefox tech de underlying offset not supported by firefox uh and oh yeah and that's, yeah, that's clever and then xua compatible meta element should not be used it's not needed so i can delete that old <laughs> <laughs> like whatever IE workaround, uh, navigator.useragent, navigator.app version, uh, audit the usage of this. I'm sure that's my ads using that. So I'm not going to worry about it. Wherever hook JS comes from, that's not me. Um, and then, uh, add a cache control header, you know, it's, uh, response header should not include unnecessary headers. X XSS protection like i don't need that header i guess so i should probably get mm. rid of it but i think that's handled over on the uh the netlify side of things so i don't know and then uh x frame options should not be used i guess it's just giving me a warning so um and I'm okay so the that. point of this is that it's it's hints it's like here's some advice of your code but it's for all kinds of languages and for all kinds of reasons so it could be a performance problem it could be compatibility problem mm -hmm. it could be a security problem it could be an accessibility problem and then i, I imagine there's even other things you know like I've, I've seen ones where it like yells at you for um like the complexity of your code have you ever seen a tool like that it's like yeah the cognitive load of this function is too high reduce it <laughs> i mean that would be nice uh, i don't know <laughs> we have that that one's in yeah. js hint though so i guess the point of web hint though is you don't have to then cobble together the best of all these plugins, you just get them all in one. I think it's yeah. all together. And and so it'll give you some accessibility. It'll give you some security. It'll give you some performance. Yeah. More more maybe granular. And it doesn't give you a score like Lighthouse. It's not like, you did 100, buddy. It's kind of the opposite. It's sort of just like, here, I'll just tell you the problems. So, yeah. um, so it kind of just goes through and uh, tells you your problems exactly. So... Is it wildly popular or not or what? I, I think it could be more popular. You know, I, I've talked with the developers before. Um, yeah. I was like, you know, you should think about adding a score just because, I don't know, in Lighthouse, you're like, I got a 90. Yeah. I want to make but that maybe that's philosophically now. not a line here. It's, that's just one, I think it's, one aspect of like 12 that they're. Right. I think it's philosophically yeah. not aligned. And then you have to come up with a rubric or a weighting system for every single one, like. Li elements must be contained in a UL. Where are you going to rate that? You know, yeah. or like, um, and then whose problem is all this stuff? Because clearly they're not writing the accessibility hinting axes, and they're just using it. Yeah, so I think so, they're just CLI axing on the page, probably. 
So. And they probably do that for all kinds of stuff. Like they didn't write this stuff. They're just cobbling it all together from other sources. Yeah. So the advantage to users is I don't have to think about 12 different ex- extensions to slap on my crap or whatever. I just run it through this one. Yeah. I wonder if that's what makes it not so popular is that people are like, I don't, you're just some glue. I don't need that. Yeah. I wonder. I, I mean, I, I wonder if you can get this stuff elsewhere, but What's kind of neat is you can kind of actually in edge and stuff, you know, um, you can kind of surface these warnings and issues. Um, there's a little feedback bubble that shows up and it says 14. That's telling me about the 14 problems on this page right now. Um, so you can kind of get to it. you actually don't even need to have it. You can just click that little bubble like when you show up. So, and it'll take you to the Mm -hmm. issues panel and I'm pretty sure 90% sure that's, web hint under the hood um yeah so i don't blame the swing at things here like and maybe this will i don't know i might be wrong that it's not popular maybe it's more popular than i think it is but i don't, I don't get the sense that it's like wildly 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 popular yet you know yeah but i wonder but i don't blame for the swing because it's like sometimes stuff like that really hits you know yeah like in the way that prettier has like i don't know any code base that doesn't use it pretty much you know like it seems like wildly popular because it just happened to be the thing that for whatever reason just hit and if this thing hits then it then it becomes the thing that's in people's mind like of course you use this on your project duh it's the standard i'm so here i pulled up chrome chrome's issued panels and web or sorry edges issues panel i have zero issues on my site in chrome and I have 12 issues in Edge. So Edge is being a little, you know, yeah. I, I have more information. And a lot of these are just warnings, like compat warnings. So that's kind of cool. Like, uh, you know, I might know if I heavily invested in some technology that no one else has. I think it confuses it a little bit. Like, I, I like that. I no disagreements there. But like, is this a DevTools thing or is this a VS Code thing or what? I mean, I get that it's both, but like the fact that it's both weakens it somehow yeah well i think there's like an extension you can also do it in vs code so i think it's a it's a tool that can be run in multiple places i guess is what web hint is yeah because it says it can run in your cli too right it's just yeah npx hint your url so um i'm having trouble getting it to run but that's probably a dave rupert issue not really a (laughs) I'm not going to blame a whole browser on that. But. I'm looking for the issues tab in, in Edge, though. Does it just one of the top-level things? So do you see, like, you pull up a site, and you see the little speech bubble next to the uh, shish kebab menus, the gears, and the feedback? There's a little speech bubble with, like, a number next to it? No. No? You don't have issues on your site? Let me go. Yeah, I mean, there's this. I see the kebab on the right, and then right to that is, like, profiles. And then uh, there's bookmarks or some or collections, but there's no. I don't see no I need to see your bubbles. dev tools. I don't know. It's <laughs> you have different dev tools. Oh, do you there. have to open dev tools to see? Yeah, it? sorry, open dev tools. It's in dev tools. Oh, dev tools, not just. Oh yeah, speed. Oh, the little guy with the bubble. That's Ooh, the that's speech bubble icon. Sorry. Then <laughs> yeah, that's the feedback, and then there's the settings, the gear, and then there's a little speech bubble and a little oh. warning thing. Oh yeah. Oh, I have lots of errors. 99 plus there's so many problems on this site that i can't i had to say 99 plus because it wasn't ready for three three characters very upset but it's interesting i don't know i don't know it's interesting and and it's maybe opinionated like it's saying like scroll margin top is not supported by safari and you know but you're like it's just little opinions for you You could probably you can looks like you can uh you can scope it down if you don't really care about warnings because it's telling me loading is not supported by Firefox and Safari, you know, like the lo- loading lazy or whatever. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. It's too bad. I have it anyway. You know, go away. <laughs> Guess what? I'm going to. But use yeah, it. I have the same crap you had. Web, WebKit text size adjust is not blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. Too it's bad. noisier, but at least it like, it <laughs> offers a know. different perspective. Right. So totally. You know, yeah. And you think this is WebHint? I think it's WebHint under the hood because Chrome is not doing it. And, and, yeah, like CSS tricks. I go to, I go to there. I get one. I, it says you're using navigator.useragent. So that's probably you and I have the same ad vendor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, That's interesting, though. And then I wonder about kind of like crediting the the people that did the work. Oh, so Webhint is made by people at Microsoft. I should have said that at the beginning. So yeah, uh, but Axe isn't. You know, like yeah. so they just use Axe, and then like you get a accessibility warning, and you click on it, and you go over to the Webhint site. I'm like, whoa, yeah, you just you can't even tell the people that made the plugin had anything to do with this experience. No, that's, and that's fair. You should credit whenever. So I don't know if that's actually happening here. Don't take me to, I'm mostly just seeing CSS problems actually. So that yeah. has nothing to do with the accessibility. So don't, don't, don't quote me on them doing anything wrong here. I'm sure they're doing right stuff. I do, I do like the idea. I like that because I might not, especially on like a fresh machine or something in my VS code. I'm like, I kind of like that this is a blessed set of like code analysis tools. That's cool. It's yeah. Cool. I, I, it's neat. It's, and it's very front endy. Like it covers the big buckets like compat, performance, security, accessibility. That's what we care about day to day. So gosh, darn right, man. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you, dear listener for downloading this in your podcast. Your choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at shop talk show for 16 tweets a month and watch our YouTube over on the real CSS tricks channel. We got some YouTubes coming out. So there you go. We're having fun doing that still, I think. And uh, yeah. And uh, then uh, what is it? Uh, Join us on the discord, patreon.com slash shop talk show. We'd love to have you in there. And Chris, anything else you'd like to say? Uh, I don't think so. Bad shop talk show.com. 